Amen. Be seated. Well, I want to uh, I want to welcome everybody again. I'm grateful that you're here, <clears throat> and I want to uh, extend another welcome to our guests. We're also grateful that our high school mission trip group is back safely uh, and that it went well. I want to just say again before we move into our sermon that um, what we just did in praying for our new ministry structure and these deacons and ministry leaders is really significant, and I don't want the significance of it to be lost on us that... Um, for a long, long time, there were conversations happening about how we could uh, call all of us really to a, a, a new level of expectation as we think about serving in the body of Christ. And so I really want to encourage you to begin now praying about where you're going to serve. Um, I think that, um, that it's a part of who we are as Christ followers, that we are engaged in the work that God would want to be doing and that God is doing around our city and county and around the world. And we want you all to be a part of that. Um, so today we are in week two of a new sermon series that we're calling Major Minor. Uh, in this series, we're looking at minor characters in the Bible uh, and kind of thinking about their lives and the important role that they play in moving the story of God forward. And so we said last week that every story has the people that you know, right? Every story has the names you're familiar with. This is true in movies. This is true in books. This is true in uh, fairy tales, no matter the kind of story that you're talking about, this, there's always a main character. And, and there's also uh, the characters that help support the story and move the story forward, but that are less known, that are unfamiliar. Uh, they don't get recognized for, the, for their work. They don't get the awards, maybe, like the main stars do. They're the extras, and the Bible is full of extras, people that are often in the backgrounds, doing things on the sidelines, in the shadows, uh, that don't get as much credit, acknowledgement, and c- really even conversation. Don't, certainly don't take a lot of space up in sermons uh, and in teaching. So when it comes to the Bible, we know these main characters, but what about the other people in the story of God? That's, that's really the question that we're asking with this series. What about the other people in the story of God? And, and do their lives have anything to say to me and to my life? Do, do they have anything to speak into my situation? And so last week we looked at a nameless widow, a woman whose name is not even mentioned, but who shows up in 1 Kings 17 in the Old Testament, shows up in Luke 4 in the New Testament. And today we're going to jump into the New Testament. Before we do that, I want to pray for our time together. So if you would, let's, let's pray together. Father, we are grateful today that you're at work among us, that we sense your spirit moving And Father, we're grateful that you are a shield that protects us, that you call us uh, into a future that you already know is ahead that we can't yet see. And God, I pray that you'll give us uh, today as we look at another minor character in your story, that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear the ways in which their story connects to our story and that all of those help connect to your story and the the story that you're writing even now. We love you, Father, and we're grateful for this time and this moment. I pray that you'll speak through me and that the words that uh, need to stick on all of our hearts will stick and everything else will fall away. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our character today is a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph of Arimathea is an interesting guy. 
He's mentioned in four places in Scripture. All the gospel writers mention him. But if you only read, the problem with all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all mentioning him is that if you only read one of those, which we tend to sort of do, we like today we're going to look at you know, Matthew's account of this story or John's account. But if, with Joseph, if you, if you only read one of those, you don't really get the whole picture. It's only really when you kind of mash all of those up together and read them really back to back to back that I think you get a kind of a full picture of who this guy really is. And so that's what we're going to do today. And rather than having you turn to one place uh, in, in your Bible, I'm going to have all four of these on some slides here that you can look at so we can kind of follow along together and read these together. So Matthew is the first place that Joseph's story gets mentioned, Matthew 27. And uh, Matthew says this, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Mark's account is next, I think. Mark 15. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, and wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, uh, saw where he was laid. Luke 23. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. John's account. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus in in the night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. uh, This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So there's a lot there. Some of the things you heard, you probably, there's some overlap with what each of these gospel writers say. But I want to just kind of put together what we learn from all four of these accounts 
of Joseph of Arimathea's life. First of all, from Matthew, we learn that he's a rich man, and he's from Arimathea, though it's mentioned in other places. He had become a disciple of Jesus, and he apparently owned a new tomb, or he had some access to a new tomb, and he had had it cut, especially for this burial. Mark says that he was a prominent member of the council. He was waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, bought cloth, took Jesus' body off the cross, and wrapped the body in the linen that he had purchased. Luke says that he was a good and upright man. He had not consented to his peers' decision to crucify Jesus. He placed the body in the tomb. He actually placed it in the tomb. He was the one who did that. And John says he was a secret disciple of Jesus and that the tomb where Joseph was uh, placed Jesus' body was in a garden, which will be important at the end. So what I want to do this morning, I want to tell you ahead of time. I want to make some observations about all these accounts of Joseph of Arimathea's life. And then I want to reflect together, secondly, on what we learn, I think, from his life. Uh, and then I want to close with uh, an interesting fact that I think is in, in, you know, jo- that Joseph's involvement plays into in the burial of Jesus. So first of all, some observations. There are a number of things about Joseph's life that are interesting. Maybe I think the greatest among the things about his life that are interesting is that he was a member of the council. This was another way of saying uh, that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which would be the word that many of you would be more familiar with. So this, the Sanhedrin is the group of people that served as what we think of as kind of like our court system. Not exactly, but kind of. Uh, so he's a politician, essentially. Um, the Sanhedrin, there were 71 members of the Sanhedrin, and they met in Jerusalem. This council, this group of people um, that met in Jerusalem was actually established, some of you will recall, back in Moses' time, right? So there were 70 elders of Israel plus one, Moses, which made 71. So he's part of that group, the Sanhedrin. Uh, One of the jobs of the Sanhedrin was to rule in matters like like what, what happened to Jesus, like the punishment of crimes. So the Sanhedrin had given their consent to Jesus being crucified on a cross. But Joseph of Arimathea was not for it. He he, he did not give his his consent. So however their voting process went, some people gave their approval and some people did not, and he was among the group. Maybe apparently him and Nicodemus were both maybe in that group, or maybe Nicodemus had a change of heart later and regretted his decision. I don't know, but John tells us he shows up with him at the end. Joseph of Arimathea had not consented. And so, but that's, that's interesting. But also what's interesting is because of his role on the Sanhedrin, on this council, he had access to Pilate, right? Rome is ruling over Israel, but Ju- the Sanhedrin is a very Jewish group of people. So Rome is still allowing the, the Jewish leaders to kind of take care of the, the, the people. And they're just really, they're just occupying Israel at this time, right? But because of his role in the Sanhedrin and Pilate's role with Rome, the Sanhedrin had access to Roman rulers that common people didn't have. And so because of his access to Pilate and his role on the Sanhedrin, he went to Pilate, and that's why he had the ability to go to Pilate. Not just anybody could just go to Pilate and ask for Jesus' body. So he, knowing his position, allows him access to Pilate, goes and asks for Jesus' body. We also learn that he's wealthy. This is an important observation, I think, 
because, he, because of what, what he does. Uh, he either owned or had access to a tomb. He had become a disciple of Jesus and was hopeful that the kingdom of God was arriving. We learned that he was a good man, an upright man, which I think, personally, that Luke probably adds because uh, maybe, maybe, you know, like, like we sometimes, you know, we hear uh, politicians talk and we think, well, they might be telling the truth, but they might not be telling the truth. And I think that kind of thing existed with people in that day. And I think Luke kind of adds that, honestly, to say, he was a member of the council, but you also need to know he was a, he was a different, he was a good and upright man, right? And so we learn that about his life. John mentions also that he was a secret disciple. This one's probably the most interesting to me, but uh, I, I want to make the point that whatever level of, you know, hiddenness was in his discipleship and his relationship with Jesus, once he made the appeal to Pilate for Jesus' body, and once he took that body off the cross and placed it in a tomb, his secret wasn't so secret anymore. So this wasn't a tip, because, because what he was doing was not typical Sanhedrin work. Like, members of the council didn't go, and this was not a normal thing for somebody to do. He did something because of his faith and because of his conviction about who Jesus was. So he's risking exposure, which I think is also why it's important that we know he's wealthy. He is wealthy, he is powerful, he has influence, he knows people, he can get access to Pilate, and he risks all of that to go and make an appeal for Jesus' body to place it in a tomb. And maybe he's still working through his faith. We don't know what level of disciple he is. But something about Jesus is intriguing to him. Something is interesting enough to him that, that John tells us he's already a follower. He's already come to some, some belief about what Jesus is doing and who Jesus is. But maybe he's not quite totally sure. We don't exactly know. Maybe he's still working through some of those components of his faith. Maybe he's not certain about all the answers to all the questions that he has. Which is one of the reasons that I like Joseph of Arimathea. Because maybe you can relate to, to that like I can. That there are times where we follow and we believe, though we still have questions. There are times where we're not certain or sure about all the questions to all that, that, we, that we have about life and faith and suffering. And we see things going on in the world and we think, I don't know how to solve that problem. I don't know what to do about that, but I'm going to continue to trust Jesus in the process. Like Joseph, I think, was still somewhere on the journey of coming to faith, deepening in his faith maybe, in his relationship with Jesus. But what he knew was that what happened to Jesus on the cross wasn't right. He was waiting for the kingdom of God, two writers tell us, and was hopeful that Jesus was the answer to the kingdom of God coming to earth. And so we know, first of all, that his secret wasn't so secret after he took Jesus off the cross because this wasn't typical Sanhedrin work. The second thing we know is this, that whatever level of fear he had, of the, the Jewish leaders, as John says. He did the right thing. He still did the right thing in the midst of his fear, which to me leads, leads me to the fir- one of the first things that I think we learn from his life, and that is this, that Joseph did the right thing even when it went against the majority. Seventy-one people were a part of the Sanhedrin, and we don't know exactly how many, but enough uh, went along and consented with Jesus' death that Jesus died on a cross. And even when, you know, on the, on the backside of it, we think, well, 
we're glad that Jesus died, obviously, but in the moment, right, people are making decisions about people's lives, which is easy to forget in the midst of the crucifixion story. And Joseph, he didn't, he, he didn't understand all that was about to take place because of the death of Jesus, but he knew it wasn't right that they were going to crucify an innocent man. And he did what was right even when the majority went the other way. Even when the majority of the Sanhedrin gave their approval to Jesus' death and went along with it, he did not consent. His compassion was greater than his fear. And even though it was undoubtedly hard, I'm sure, he did the right thing. Which I think is an important lesson for us, isn't it? Like to know that as we think about our own lives, that when the crowd is going along with something, that we can still choose to not give our consent. We can choose the right thing even when it's hard. Like when the majority says, you should go this way, we choose to listen to God's voice and to make sure that that way is the way that we're supposed to go. When the majority says, "Ah, a a little dishonesty, a little cheating, a little cutting corners won't hurt anybody, you choose to be honest. When the majority says it's okay, but you sense in your spirit that it is not okay, you, re- you resist the majority. When the majority says to give up, to give up on your marriage, to give up on your friendship, to give up on your kids. When the majority says it's okay to hold that grudge, to avoid talking to that person, to start that conversation, you choose to go the other way and to fight for your marriage, for your kids, for your relationships in life, to not give up easily, to start the conversation, to offer the apology, to ask for forgiveness. When the majority says go this way, you you pause as a spirit-filled person and muster the courage to make sure that it's the best way. I think this is what Joseph of Arimathea did. When he understood you know, whether he understood everything that there was to, to understand about what was happening in this moment with Jesus' death, like whether he understood everything about Jesus in his brain, those aren't the real marks of faith, church. Real faith has always been measured by our action, by what we do. Right? And what did Joseph do? Let's just think about it for a second. He honored Jesus' body. He helped someone, Jesus, who in that moment had no one else left to help him. Like, in fact, think about this. Have you wondered, if you, if I, until I read these all back to back to back, I had never considered this. I've never heard anybody talk about it. Have you ever thought about, like, where the disciples went? They are gone. Have, these guys have given their lives to following Jesus the last few years prior to his crucifixion, and they are nowhere on the scene or when it comes time to get Jesus off the body and to put him in a tomb. Most Christian art, if you think about this, portrays Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the cross after, you know, Jesus has been on the cross. And we know the women were there, but if you read the the accounts that we just read, they didn't play the role that Joseph of Arimathea played. Like, I don't even know if the entire burial process happens without this guy, which is really fascinating to think about. He takes care of the entire process, and the disciples seem to have vanished. He takes care of everything from taking down the body to buying linen and cloth to wrapping the body to preparing the tomb to laying the body in the tomb to sealing the tomb closed is all because of this man that none of us ever talk about. 
who plays this minor role in the most significant moment in the story of God, the burial which will lead to the most significant moment, the resurrection. His faith was on display in his actions. He was a disciple, John says secretly, because he was afraid of the ruling council, his peers, his co-workers. Even though he's on the council, he's afraid of the council. But the truth is, for me, and you can make a decision for yourself, Joseph's fear doesn't really bother me. Because as I've thought about, like, what would it have been like to be in that moment, right? As I've thought about this, every person that followed Jesus, outside of three that we know of, Joseph of Arimathea, Mary, and the other Mary, was gone. And I think that it would have been a normal reaction, quite honestly. If we're living in that time, and we're all following Jesus together, and our leader gets crucified on a cross and is dead, and we think that he's going to come back to life, we hope that he's going to come back to life, because we heard him say some stuff when he was alive about, I'm going to rise on the third day, but we really had never seen that kind of stuff happening before. So we had some doubts maybe a little bit, like Thomas. We need to put our finger in the side to make sure that our eyes were not deceiving us. Like this, the way I think about it, this is their like 9-11 moment. I use that, that image to say like if I ask you if you were alive uh, where you were on 9-11, you can tell everybody where you were because for you that moment in history altered the course of what, everything that would happen after that, right? Like, there are these moments in life where we go, nothing from this point forward will ever be the same. And you can mark time, like you know where you were, you know who you're with, you know what you were doing, and you have memories about those moments in life. And I think for them, that was what this moment was, the day their whole world changed. Of course they were afraid. Right? Their leader had just been hung on a tree. And they weren't quite sure what was going to happen next. But there was a man whose name we don't hear much about named Joseph from a little bitty town, an insignificant town of Arimathea that you don't hear anything else about in the Bible. That in that moment of this despair, while others were asking, what do we do now? Joseph made a decision. And taking everything he knew about God, God's law, God's mercy, God's love, he decided this man needs a proper burial and helped the one that needed help. He thought to himself, if Jesus is the Son of God, I want to honor him, even though I don't understand everything. If, if, if Jesus, there's a Deuteronomy 21 passage that talks about anybody that hangs on a tree is cursed. I imagine Joseph saying, like, if Jesus, maybe he is cursed, but we still need to bury him, even though we don't understand. His faith was on display in his action. There's more going on in this story than what we see. There's a, a passage in Numbers 19 that I think Joseph would have been familiar with, especially as a member of the ruling council and a, a Jewish leader. Numbers 19, verse 11 says, Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. I think Joseph of Arimathea would have known this verse. So, after his act of compassion, follow this with me, he is unclean, for seven days, which means, and I love this, in a very real way, that he was the first person to be cleansed by that blood that we believe makes us clean. He risked uncleanliness because he believed that the one he was burying had already made him clean. Can I please get an amen to that? 
he risked uncleanliness because he believed that the one who was burying him was already making him clean, even though he probably didn't understand everything that was involved in that, which brings us to another principle that we learn, I think, from Joseph of Arimathea, and that is this. When in doubt, when in doubt, as a follower of Jesus Christ, our task, our call is simply to do this, to be obedient and to show mercy and to allow God to take care of the rest of the details that we don't understand. He made a decision and was obedient and showed mercy and compassion. Joseph risked. He risked his reputation as a member of the Sanhedrin. It may have cost him financially. I mean, apparently he paid for this rock to be cut out. It might have cost him the value of his property. It may have risked the reputation of his family. We don't We don't know, but what we know is this, that he was obedient and that he made a choice to do something hard when everyone else seemed to be gone, except for these two strong women, Mary and Mary, who were not going to leave Jesus out of their sight, if at all possible. He picked up his cross and he followed. He embraced the golden rule and he treated Jesus the way he would have wanted to be treated. And I wonder for us this morning, like where in your life do you have questions where are you unsure where are you doubting in what area do you not have a clear path forward and where in what area are you in need of some answer to some question that you're wrestling with maybe in your life who is in your life that is in need of help but helping might mean you risk your reputation he was bold in his faith in the midst of his fear and there'll be times in our lives church where we have no idea what to do all of our relationships with family and friends, with our children, with our, in parenting and our marriages, our financial choices, our political choices, things with our health. There are all kinds of crises in life when we are confused, feel dejected, feel unsure about what, what, what the path forward looks like. And in those times, it is our job to be obedient and to show mercy and to be faithful, to do our best to be obedient to God even though we may not understand, to find, to be found as a person that is full of faith and trust that even if everything doesn't turn out the way that we imagine, that our job is not to control the outcomes, that our job is to do our best to imitate God's character. And God's character is that he was faithful to us and that he showed mercy and compassion to us. I like to think that Joseph was this kind of person. But I want to close with this. One of the, uh, I think, most beautiful pieces about this story is that it ended in a garden, which is significant, I think, to us. And I like the idea, I like to think at least, that as a Jew, that the significance of this choice that Joseph of Arimathea made to place Jesus in a tomb that was in a garden was not lost on Joseph. That he did it maybe even on purpose, the Jewish story, because Joseph knew, right? The Jewish story, Joseph's story, your story and my story also started in a garden. And now Joseph, as he lays Jesus' body in a tomb, he lays it in a tomb that was in a garden. And on Sunday, just a couple of days after he laid Jesus' body in a tomb, that story would be started again back where it all began in a garden as Jesus stepped out of this tomb. Except this time it would be different, wouldn't it? 
Like in the first garden, things went bad quickly and it ended in death and sin and chaos that we all still carry and feel. But because of what happened in that garden on that day, the second time, Joseph of Arimathea, I believe, knew that at this, this tomb that he had secured, that he had purchased, that he owned, whichever one it was, Jesus would come bursting forth out of this freshly cut tomb on that Sunday. And the story, instead of ending in death and chaos like it did last time, this time would not end in death and chaos for the world, but in life and in peace for the world. Joseph's silent belief. I mean, we know he talked to Pilate and he asked, but we don't get a lot of language, a lot of words from him. And I want those of you this morning to hear me who are silent leaders, silent servants, who are doing things on the sides and the margins and the shadows and maybe not doing things up front, that that is okay and it doesn't matter because I think we need to hear the stories, not of the people like Moses who are loud mouths and talk a lot, right? Peter who always has something to say. We need to know also that there's people like Joseph of Arimathea in the story of God who is a silent servant, and his silent belief challenges us, I think, and our expectations that you have to be loud with your faith. Now, what Joseph did was be faithful. What he chose to do was be obedient. What he chose to do was show mercy and compassion to Jesus when other folks weren't anywhere around. He believed and even feared his, pe- his peers, but his fears did not paralyze him from doing nothing. He still did what he thought was right. And because of that, the story of this minor character is still being told today. His story, I think, is our story in so many ways. That we're often faced with choices where the crowd goes one way and we have the option to go another way. We're called to be bold in our faith and to do what we believe is right. And we're often presented with the options of making decisions in the midst of doubts, questions, and our place, our choice, is to choose mercy and choose compassion to be faithful, knowing that we also are a part of the story that ends in life and peace for the world. Let's pray. Father, this morning we're grateful again for another person in this larger story that we find in Scripture. Uh, We pray in some way today that we've been able to highlight Uh, that he was a good and upright person and that maybe draw from his life in some ways some things that we can apply to our lives and our situations. God, I pray that you'll give us the ability to choose you at times in our lives when it may feel like the majority is going another way. I pray that you'll give us the courage and ability to be faithful, to be obedient, to show mercy and compassion, even when we're not sure what the outcome is is going to involve, even when it may mean we risk our reputation, our finances, our status, that we'll choose the right path forward, believing that whatever's at the end of that path will be better than anything that we sacrificed along the way. I'm thankful, God, for silent servants like Joseph of Arimathea who chose to be faithful, who chose to be bold and go to Pilate, who chose to do what was right even when others didn't seem to choose that same path. And I pray this morning that for those here who who are wrestling with where their place is in your story and in the story of this church and maybe even their own lives, that you'll help us to remember that there are a million ways that we can 
move your story forward simply by being faithful, being obedient, and choosing to show mercy and compassion. It doesn't require a lot of talking. It doesn't require a lot of uh, language. It simply requires our action. And I'm thankful for this man whose faith we see because of what he did in the life that he lived. I pray, God, for us, each of us, as we uh, reflect upon that life, that we'll be able to draw from it some things that we can think about in our own stories so that we can live out our lives in a way that point people to you and to who you are. We pray through the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we want to offer a time to respond in prayer. It may be that you want to pray up front, and I'll be down here. There'll be an elder in the back. I always encourage you to find somebody around you and pray. Let's, uh, let's respond to God in whatever way you need to respond to God as we sing uh, this song together. Jesus, let us come to know you. Let